Thank you very much, Ruth Ann. This morning we're going to be discussing living well in a thorn, difficulty infested world, building on what we discussed several weeks ago. We have trials in life, we have thorns in life. Some of those thorns may be common, and we might get the cold, we might get the flu, we might have a broken bone. We might have something more extreme physically like cancer or heart problems or lung disease. Or we may have some problems because of lifestyle choices, whether it be eating habits or exercise or lack thereof and so on. But there's other problems. We may have financial problems. We may have relational thorns. We may have job or school difficulties. We might have some mental Battles and struggles at times, sometimes emotional. Uh, I experienced that some this week with my mother, you know, just the emotional turmoil that she has been going through. Sometimes we have possession problems, you know, with a car, maybe a house, just our stuff. We face aging trials and thorns, and then ultimately we face one of those difficulties that we call death. Physical death. And I'm posing a question, and I'm not looking for an answer. Should we pray to be healed, fixed, escape in the above items? Think about that question as we look at some scripture and some application. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm chapter 13. I'm not going to be referring extensively to any given passage. But want to read Psalm 13, we know that David has been going through some type of difficulty. And it would seem like some of the difficulty is related to the result of his own sin. His own sin with Bathsheba, having Uriah murdered, and so on. It's not clearly stated, but it seems like some of the enemies he faced were tied in with that. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Do you hear the anguish of the heart? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? He's struggling in the trial or trials of life. But he cries out to God. In Mark chapter 14, we find that Jesus is in the garden. And he's crying out to God. If it be possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, 
but thine be done. We know that Job cried out to God as he went through physical suffering after he lost his children, after he lost his possessions, and his wife said, why don't you curse God and die? He wanted an audience with God. God eventually gave that to him, but it was not necessarily a good thing. In Mark or Matthew chapter 5, we find Jesus says, blessed are those, and he lists a number of things. And one of them is, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who mourn. We already mentioned Mark 14. In Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about rejoicing in the trials of life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul again mentions difficulties in life and how we should respond. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, again, Paul mentions some of the things that were involved in being an apostle. In Philippians 3, in the midst of Paul's desire to know Christ, he says, I want to know Christ in my sufferings, in my trials. James 1, 2 through 18, talks about trials in life, having an attitude of joy. 2 Peter, or 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, again talks about the trials that people were facing because of their faith in Christ, along with chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Revelation 9, 1, 9 through 20, talks about John when he saw Christ and some of the difficulties that he was facing. Again, you could read any of those scriptures and you will find that God speaks of trials and responding to them. Two weeks ago, I explained 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 10. I'm referring to mentioning a number of passages that I'll mention as we go along that are vital to developing a correct belief and correct doctrine concerning the thorns and the difficulties of life. Paul in 2 Timothy says that Scripture is profitable for doctrine, what to believe, but also rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So this morning, we're going to spend some time taking 2 Corinthians 12, which we discussed two weeks ago, referring to the passages that were listed on the wall, and think about the rebuking, the correcting, and the training. It's one thing to know something up here. It's another thing to live it out. So last Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, as well as Sunday, I said, Lord, I guess you're giving me an opportunity to practice what I just preached on. I'm going through a physical trial. Do I really have to count this as being profitable and good and so on, that I, just like I spoke the Sunday before? And the answer, obviously, was yes. But think about trials that you have faced, those that you may be facing, or those that you may face, and make application. Because head knowledge is not sufficient. Living well in a thorn-infested world is just the whole issue of acceptance. Troubles, trials, thorns, difficulty, or a normal part of daily, weekly, and yearly life on this earth. 
Genesis 3. They began. Matthew 6. Jesus says, enough day has, you know, its own trouble. He also mentions in the Gospels, in this world you will have trouble. 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about trials. It's life. To pray to escape trials, to pray to be fixed, and have a trial-free life as a pattern of life is basically a choice to live independent of God. Independent of his grace and independent of his power. Part of living here is trials and thorns and difficulties. I didn't say don't pray about them. I didn't say don't go to God about them. But to seek avoidance of all trials is to deny reality and in Christ. Trials and difficulties are life. A couple months ago when I was to the eye doctor, when some things were going on with my one eye, he made some comments and uh, I said, well, I'm not overly concerned. Whatever happens, happens. And then I said, that's life. And he said, ah, I guess it is. Just acceptance of life for what it is. But going along with that, crying out to God in trials and thorns is normal. Job cried out to God. God, I want an audience with you. What's going on? In Psalm chapter 3, David is crying out to God. And that is in the context of fleeing from his son who wanted to overtake the kingship. We find in Psalm 13, which we read, David crying out to God. Psalm 73, there's the agony of, I look around me and the evil people are doing fine. And I'm not doing well. What's going on, God? In James 1, he talks about trials of life. And God says, cry out to God. Trials and difficulties were not in Genesis 1 and 2. Nor will they be in Revelation 21 and 22 and beyond. But in Genesis 3 through Revelation chapter 20, trials and difficulties are in life. Cry out to God. It's okay. It hurts. Life is tough sometimes. It's difficult. Where else would we turn? But to God, we're free to groan. We're free to hurt. We're free to try out to God, cry out to God. When trials come, when thorns come into your life, seek God. And you may do that with other other saints and then listen. God, I'm going through a difficulty. What do you want in this? You're going to deliver me? You're going to walk with me through it? You're going to fix me? What's going to happen? But then, listen. Accept his response. There is no need to keep asking once God responds. 
Just respond to his answer. Consider Job. Job wanted an audience with God, and he got his audience with God. And God gave him what I call the little quiz in Job 38, 39, 40, and 41. And when Job got done with the quiz, he couldn't answer anything. And it says he repented. Scripture does not record for us that Job ever knew what happened in the heavenly realm. But he heard and accepted. David cried out to God. And part of his reason for crying out to God is because he sinned with Bathsheba. He had Uriah, her husband, killed. And he lived with the consequences of that. But God in grace and mercy allowed David to respond. He didn't remove the consequence, but he cried out to God. And God basically said, David, there's no fix for this. You will suffer because of your sin. But I'm with you. He took his answer and went on with life. In light of the passages that we referred to earlier, it's important to have a single mind. We cannot boast and delight in our trials and resign ourselves to them at the same time. Lord, I want to boast in my trial, as Paul says he did in 2 Corinthians. I want to have an attitude of joy. And then at the same time say, well, God, if I have to go through this, I'll put up with it. They're going opposite directions. You can't travel both paths at the same time. Boast or delight is in God in Christ. Resign, rest in self. My encouragement is to pound a stake in the ground and say, Lord, I'm making a decision at this point in my life that I face trials, whatever my trial and difficulty, whether it be job or relational or financial or physical, I want to go this way of delighting and boasting in my difficulty so that your grace and your power may rest upon me. And when they get off the path, bring me back on target. They're part of life. And I don't say that negatively. It's part of living in a fallen world. The creation itself groans under the curse. Romans 8, 18 through 39. Let's blossom, not endure. In the context of trials, James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So we think about thorns and living well in a difficulty-infested world. Our goal is not to have an explanation of why the trial, but to know and experience God. Can you imagine getting the news that your children have all been killed in a storm? And after 
along with that news, you get the news that you've lost your wealth. As Job did. And Job's three friends came to him. And they did well for a week. They just sat with him and didn't talk. Try that someone with someone that's going through a difficulty. Just sit with them for a week. Zip their lip. They got into trouble when they started opening their mouths. They tried to explain why Job was going through this. Oh, you must have sinned. You must have done something. And Job, like most humans, wanted some response. But God had to deal with Job and say, Job, you have me. That's enough. Job gave up the explanation. Paul gave up the explanation. David gave up the explanation when they experienced God. Far too often, we make it our goal to avoid trials or a fix in our trials. We make that our goal rather than to know Christ and experience his power and grace. That's a common temptation. But ultimately, the goal, having pounded the stake in the ground, God, I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want to know Christ. I want to experience Christ. Why becomes meaningless, insufficient, when one experiences God and Christ? And that may be something you go through repeatedly in life. You do good for a while, and then you begin to question God when another trial comes, and you say, God, I just want to know you. I want to experience Christ. If God doesn't fix, then your desire becomes to know and to experience Christ. Again, the why becomes meaningless, insufficient when one experiences God, Christ. Many trials in life are not due to something we have done or did in the past or the present. They are part of living in a cursed, fallen world. Over and over I've been asked and over and over I've heard people say, I wonder what Daryl did that she suffers. What did Tina do that she suffered? What did Arden do that he suffered? What did Lee do that he suffered? And we ask ourselves, God, what did I do? Why am I suffering? Most of the time, the answer is, you live in a broken, fallen world. Genesis 3, the curse came. Difficulties came, and they continue until we get to Revelation chapter 21. Well, God, I don't like this. Why? What did I do? Get your focus off of yourself. Just focus on me. So when Paul faced the difficulty in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he went to God, and God, how about fixing me? 
Good. Go to God when you go through a difficulty, whatever it may be. But then God apparently said, okay, Paul, you asked me three times. I'm giving you an answer now. I'm not going to fix you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So you're going to endure the difficulty. Accept it. Well, what did I do, God? Have you ever stopped to consider that when a parent disciplines a child, the child knows what is going on? Now, I'm not talking when you beat someone and you get mad at the kid and you just tear into them. I'm talking about disciplining God's style. So when I was a kid, I get disciplined by my father a few times. I knew what was going on. I knew disobedience had taken place because dad made that clear to me. And he knew that there, he made it very clear that there was going to be some pain involved. So Dan, this is what you did wrong. This is the pain that's involved because of your doing wrong. And then he would administer the pain and get through that and say, okay, dad really loves me and cares for me. But I didn't get done with the physical discipline and say, oh, what's going on here? I wonder what dad was doing. Do you ever stop to consider that God is the same way? That if we're going through some trial in life and we say, God, what is going on? And he says, I want you to know that you sinned here. I'm disciplining you now. He's gracious. He does that. He doesn't have us go along and say, oh, wonder what I did. What did I do? Wonder what I did. I don't know if I did something or not, but I have this trouble. What's going on, God? God's not like that. He's gracious. He loves us. If he's going to discipline, he lets us know that it's discipline. Study scripture. You see that over and over. So what did I do? Maybe nothing. Well, why am I going through this? If God doesn't give you a reason for discipline, I live in a broken world. That's the way it is. I accept it. Hebrews 12 talks about discipline from the Lord. He disciplines whom he loves to produce a holiness. But it's known when it happens. So when David went through the difficulty of having the child die that he had by that Bathsheba had, the first child by Bathsheba. And later on, his son raped his daughter, and another son killed his brother, and another son rebelled against David. David didn't have to say what's going on here. He knew. God was dealing with him. So as we go through the trials of life, don't get overly hung up on yourself. God, did I do something? And there's silence. I would probably give up. And say, okay. I live in a broken, fallen world. God's character God and Christ 
deal with us in specifics, not generalities. He's definite. He responds in difficulties. That's his nature. That's his character. Tied in with what we just discussed. Cain did wrong. He didn't bring an acceptable sacrifice. And God confronted him in a very specific way. Abraham was encouraged to live in light of promises that God had given to him. The Corinthian church, some of them were dying because they were apparently not treating one another well as it came to the meal that went along with communion. And Paul says, some of you are dead. Some of you are sick because of your sin. God deals with specifics in difficulties. He's gracious. Years ago, when the surgeon said to me on a Friday, I don't know what is wrong, but you need to have surgery as soon as possible. Can we operate Monday? And then the very last words to me as he exited exited the office were, expect the worst. I knew something was going on before that. And in the process of that, I went to God and, God, what's going on here? And heaven was somewhat silent. And crying out to God again, and heaven was somewhat silent. And obviously you do medically what you can. So they removed a skull tumor. I go to a lung doctor, and the lung doctor says, this is probably for life. God chose not to intervene. I still live with that. But my point is that I didn't wonder for weeks and months and months, what's God doing? I live in a broken world. I have some physical problem because I live in a broken world. It's life. God, I want to know you. I want to experience you. I battle with that almost every week to keep my perspective right. But I'm still not saying, God, you're going to fix me. He already gave me an answer. He says, my grace is sufficient. So if you're suffering, if you're going through difficulty, go to God. But when he answers, accept it and live in light of it. Much more could be said about living with the trials of life. We'll wrap it up for this morning. Keep in mind that as we go through the trials of life, whether it's physical, financial, whether it's a relational, whether it's emotional, whether it's mental, or whether it's job or school and so on, that God came among us. Where's God in my hurt? He's with you. Christ came into a broken, cursed, fallen world so that we can have life. So that if we're fixed, we can rejoice and praise God. And if we're not fixed, we can rejoice and praise God.
but he's with us. And as we partake of communion in a few moments, reflect on the fact that Christ came among us. His broken body, his shed blood. We're not here alone. We're not going at it alone. And as a body, we celebrate the Lord's Supper because we're in Christ. So we suffer with one another. We rejoice with one another. We pray with one another. We carry one another's burdens. That body concept coming through as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Men, would you come forward, please?